0: hello hello and welcome to temple of the false pod where our decks are not optimized but our plays sure as heck are fun i'm andy i'm bruce and uh mm, what's the most important part of your deck land land what do lands do everything everything surprisingly not just make mana obviously first and foremost 98, I don't know, I'm pulling this number out of my ass, Uh, 95, 98% of lands do produce mana, but a lot of them do more than that. Way more. (laughs) Or something completely else. So, today we figured we'd sit down, talk about some of our favorite. Um, This is uh, not uh, in line with our temple's treasures. Uh, This is just completely... Our favorites, there's no...
1: Yeah, there's no restriction on how many decks these are in. These don't have to be ancient cards. These are just freaking awesome utility lands. And In
0: fact, most of mine aren't ancient.
1: (laughs) Most of mine are, well, I guess not ancient, but certainly older. So
0: this is going to be our favorite utility lands. Yeah, these don't go in every deck, obviously, um, because some of these... So, have color yeah,
1: restriction. Right. Some of them are going to have color restrictions. I think the only real restriction that we put on it was, one, it had to be a land. And two, it has to do something other than mana.
0: Right. So, so like, no Gaia's Cradle.
1: Yeah. Gaia's Cradle, Tolarian Academy, Temple of the False God. As as awesome as these cards are. I not are, supposed to
0: put that on my list? <laughs> as awesome as
1: these cards are, all they do is tap for mana. Sometimes tons of it, but that's all they do. So we were looking for cards that do something else. They can still tap for mana, and most of these do, um, Mm -hmm. but they have to do something else. Maybe they draw you a card. Maybe they uh, add a plus plus some counter. Maybe they give your creature first strike. Whatever they do, they have to do something other than provide mana. That I think is pretty much the extent of the restriction. Yeah. Something else I'm a land junkie. we will be coming back to land very regularly because I love I love this topic. I love it so much
0: I know when i when I mentioned the topic of oh, of utility lands, oh. I don't think I've seen Bruce smile so much.
1: oh yes, I love them love it
0: <laughs> uh I'll get things started. How about that? Sure, my first pick um I kind of went with the whole cycle actually Okay. uh of the transform lands from the Ixilon block. You've got things like Legion's Landing, which uh, flips and you kind of create some vampire creature tokens with lifelink. Uh, why I love this cycle so much is because it, it the, generally they're enchantments. I think there was also a cycle where they were uh, equipments. Yep. Um, and then when you reach a certain... Uh, parameter or what's the word requirement yeah. i guess uh you transform it and it turns into a land so my my favorite out of this cycle is uh storm the vault slash uh vault of Cata- Cata- cat cat can wow i couldn't have chosen an easier one to say <laughs>
1: uh
0: Catlacan. uh so storm the vault is two blue and red Uh, legendary enchantment whenever one or more creatures you control deals combat damage to a player create a treasure token Um, at the beginning of your end step if you control five or more artifacts so not just treasures transform it Uh, and it transforms to the other side uh, to vault of katlikan which taps for one mana of any color Uh, I just realized that this only (laughs) uh, makes mana on the land side um because it also taps to add blue uh for each artifact you control yeah. but it i love this cycle so much because it, it creates not necessarily chaos but like a like a smaller like goal like a it, it gives you a game inside of a game yeah, i was just going to say thing.
1: it creates a mini game cuz yeah. because then you you know everybody else is left to left to look at this and say okay the number of ways we have to destroy a land are pretty minimal. The number of ways we have to destroy an enchantment are certainly more plentiful. Maybe not. Mm. Maybe still not quite bountiful, but certainly better than than destroying a land. So, how close do we let him get?
0: Yeah, if I was to choose one that did more than just create mana, Hadana's Climb is really good. Uh, it's one green and blue. I feel like I've not seen this be played nearly as often as it should at the beginning of combat on your turn put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control then if that creature has three or more plus one plus one counters on it transform hadana's climb so like really easy to hit in green blue decks Um, and when it flips it flips to add one mana of any color to your mana pool or for one green blue and tap target creature you control gains flying and plus x plus x until end of turn where x is its power, uh, so it essentially doubles its power yep. and flying, which is always excellent. So, yeah, um, those those are like my two favorites from from that
1: cycle. And I think that uh, I think this is a card that should be sitting in a number of my decks that I've been <laughs> I've been ignoring because the transform is easy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Three or more on one creature is
1: We're talking about Cynic here
0: Yeah. Easily this cycle is some of the best things that we've got out of Ixelon. Um obviously some of the the legendary creatures were uh overpowered and fantastic, but this cycle I feel kind of didn't necessarily fly under the radar, but uh I feel like there've been many a time where I've pulled one of these out and People have been like, oh, what's... What? What? What is that? So, check those ones
1: out. Absolutely. (laughs) Bruce, what do you got? I'm going to go old school. Way old school. This is hardly uh, a surprise find for anyone. I think anyone who's been playing Commander for any length of time has definitely heard of this card. Uh, Maze of If. Now, Maze of If is also the reason I keep saying... Some of these lands produce mana. Virtually every single land produces mana of some kind. Almost all of them. The Maze of If is one of the ones that doesn't. Unless, of course, you've got mm. Urborg Tomb of Yawgmoth floating around. Then it does. But <laughs> um, it's, it's one of the only lands that doesn't produce mana. So you're putting this in your deck solely for the effect. Um, obviously... This should not count towards your land count when you're working out the right number of lands for your deck. Anyways, for the two people out there who are listening to our podcast who don't know what Maze of If is, it is a land and it says tap it to untap target attacking creature. Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt to and dealt by that creature this turn. Which means you play Maze of If and when somebody attacks you, You pick their biggest creature, or you pick a creature that gets some kind of benefit if it does combat damage to you, or whatever. Choose their biggest threat, tap the Maze of Ith, they untap their creature, but it doesn't deal any combat damage. It's just so perfect. Yeah. The reason why I rate Maze of Ith so highly is because when it's out there and it's not tapped, people don't attack you and it doesn't matter if it's a guy with with 20 tokens or somebody <laughs> who has a voltron deck none of them attack you because even the guy with 10 tokens who wants to swing at you and knows they're going to make all of their little one ones into five fives hates the idea that their five five is going to get untapped and not do any combat damage <laughs> so they go after somebody else everybody wants to maximize their number Maze of Ith can sit there against multiple opponents, deterring attack after attack after attack. It is so good. So good that way. The only time your opponents have to gang up, they have to recognize the first person to your left. When it's their turn, they have to recognize their biggest creature is going to get untapped and not do damage but it means your maze is tapped and then then they have to rely on the next two opponents to actually swing in while the maze is tapped this sounds straightforward but it virtually never happens never maze of it just continues to do its job just by sitting there on the table not doing anything and then the joy is on top of that you now get to mess with other people's combat and wow, it's the <laughs> first time in this podcast when I've ever wanted to use the F word real bad. Because that's exactly <laughs> what this card does. It completely acts with other people's combat. Because I can untap any attacking creature. It's just a target attacking creature. It doesn't say creature attacking me. If somebody has something that, you know, when it does combat damage they get massive life totals or they get s- something else whatever you can stuff it and everybody else at the table is just like thank god thank god he stopped them. because i had no way to do it then you can turn around and say okay well so let's keep that in mind when your combat step comes around because <laughs> i've just stopped yeah. this from hurting you And it is so effective, and it's so clean, and they've made all sorts of versions of this card, but every other version costs extra mana. There's always the extra cost, whereas the maze can just, literally, you put it on the table, you put it next to your lands, and you put it just a little to the side. You make sure everybody can see it, it's very clear, and you put it to the side so you don't mess up and count it when you're trying to figure out how much mana you have and how much <laughs> mana you need to do whatever it is you're going to do this turn, Maze of Ith is
0: it's like a ten dollar card. Um, something cheaper is even from recent as Theros Beyond Death, um, Labyrinth of Scophos, uh which, like you said, uh, costs extra mana. Um, it taps for colorless or four and tap, remove target attacking or blocking creature from combat. Which essentially does the same thing um, but what I find interesting is that the labyrinth doesn't untap the creature, which I feel like could be like a way to like in certain circumstances be a
1: little better than right and is. I think yeah I think that's how but you're also paying four extra mana. <laughs> that's how you justify the four. yeah um, like mystifying maze is another mm. is another one. I wouldn't call it old school, but it's certainly a little older. <laughs> it taps for mana, so that's <laughs> that's better. Um, you can spend four and tap it, and you exile the target attacking creature and opponent controls. So it just goes away. And then at the beginning of the next end step, return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control. Ooh. And So one, under its owner's control. So if somebody has stolen it, you have a way to get it back if it's yours, or you can return it to somebody else. So there are benefits there that Maze of Ith don't, doesn't offer, but it costs four. Mm. So it's, it's not cheap. But, you know, so Mystifying Maze does something very similar, but at the same time, it does have a little bit of difference. Um, and I do like what it offers. But the reason I've chosen Maze of Ith, it's free. If it means that the person gets their creature back untapped, well, okay, that's a price I'm willing to pay. Better than just taking it to the dome. Yeah. Andy, what do you got? Oh, so many.
0: Um, My next card, pretty well known. It's called Alchemist's Refuge. Uh, Taps for one colorless mana. Or blue and green and tap, you may cast nonline cards this turn as though they had flash. Um, So for three extra mana... Essentially, yeah, you get to play your sorceries, your creatures, um, your enchantments, your artifacts as though they had flash. It's a much cheaper but uh, harder to manage version of, of uh, Vidalkan
1: or Ori. Yeah, the Vidalkan Ori, it demands a bigger initial outlay. Right. And obviously on turns when you don't need it, you don't get to tap the orri for a mana. Um, But, uh, so yeah, with with Alchemist Refuge, it means whatever card, because it's usually just one card you're looking to cast. Right. It means that card gets flashed because you're paying three extra.
0: Right, which is fantastic. Especially in blue and green where you're generally going to have three extra. uh, Right.
1: Something else, I'm going to say this just this time and then I'm not going to say it again. Andy said it costs three mana. But if you look at the card, it says green, blue, tap. So it looks like it costs two. And when you start looking at these cards, when you see that they cost something and then it says tap, you have to remember that that tap symbol is tapping a land. It means that you're not, you can't use that land for mana. So realistically, it's costing you an extra land, an extra mana to do whatever it is that the refuge or any of these other lands offer. So yeah. just keep that in mind. So when Andy says that it costs three to do this, it does. It does. This isn't, it isn't as though, you know, we misread the card. It costs three. it's it says right. two, but it's three.
0: Yeah. It, it, the land doesn't care where the other two come from, but you're still tapping this one. Right. Um, so you're essentially putting a mana into it um, to get the benefit. Thank you <laughs> for bringing that up. Um this though like adding 3 to a green or blue or colorless spell uh to give it flash is I feel like really really strong. Um obviously those colors are very strong, but um you know, if you have something that you know your opponent's won't like and want to get rid of it immediately just wait until it's almost your turn. And then this helps you flash it out, and bam, it's your turn, and you get to use it. Uh...
1: I especially like Alchemist Refuge. Uh, I like it with Seaborn Muse Ooh. because you can play the cards on your turn. At the start of the next person's turn, everything untaps, which means you now have a clean slate. So yeah. if you have six or seven mana, you spend three of it on the Refuge. You now have three or four mana left to cast that creature or that sorcery at instant speed or whatever else. And then on the next person's turn, you can threaten to do it all over again. And that's a beautiful thing. Just because it can get difficult to try and get in as many of the cards as you want. Just because it can rec- it can create a restriction. I mean, obviously once you're into the late game when you've got 12 mana or <laughs> or... 30 mana three seems like nothing but yeah it's it can be a little tough there's a a number of times when i have played it and overvalued it to the point where i will look at my hand and say i want to play this stuff at flash go but i've given up an opportunity to play two cards on my turn so i can play one at flash speed later on so you do have to be careful with that but there is no denying the benefits of Alchemist Refuge. There just isn't. It's it's a great card. Something I got to do. I was playing the, a deck with Alchemist Refuge in it, and we had re- gone around the board. It was my last opponent before my turn, and I had nothing. I really wanted to play at Flashbeat. There, I had no, and I had no instance or anything in my hand. It was it was it was going to be a dead turn. And then I thought, okay, well, you know what. I do have this card that I could play. It doesn't matter when I play it, but I'll maximize the use of my mana. But what I did was I tapped the Alchemist Refuge for its ability Mm -hmm. at the start of his turn. I said, hang on. Tap 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 the refuge. I can play non-land cards as though they're flash for the rest of your turn. And then they looked at me and he said, Okay, so what are you playing? Nothing. I'm not telling you. <laughs> Nothing. And then I just sit back. And now he's wondering. I mean, he's not thinking about a counterspell. He's thinking about a creature that's going to jump out and block. Mm. So now he's looking at his combat step thinking, if I swing at Bruce, he's probably just going to block and kill whatever it is I play. I was looking this as, well. you know what? I got a 2-2 two, two creature. Better to use <laughs> the mana up now. Mm. So I was waiting for the end of his turn to play that out. But in the meantime, he's looking at this, going, "What pit of ugliness is going to come out and stuff my combat?" It was very effective, uh, and I got to do it several turns in a row just because of the <laughs> way it worked out. You know, when you don't have anything, even if I only had two mana left over, he knows it's probably going to be a creature, but yeah, you know, it could be an enchantment. It could be, like you said, it could be sorcery speed removal.
0: Could be a signet.
1: why not I mean yeah right if you you got it might as well I was playing blue green it wasn't a signet but Mm. um, in any event it was just it was another way to use the refuge yeah so yeah
0: Um, yeah Um, before we go any further before we talk more about more lands uh, we have a sponsor for this episode oh boy so let's go listen to that and we'll be
1: right back okay Sunday 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 come down to Nomad Stadium and check out the chariot races for only 20 zibs 20 zibs get you a seat in the lower level you'll be so close the driver's sweat will be splashing off your face that's it 20 zibs for a lower level seat we'll sell you the whole seat but you'll only need the edge and now back to you Hey! Long time to see, friend. Man, oh man, I can't wait for those chariot races. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, so my next card is... well, I guess it's cheating, because it's every card. <laughs> Excuse me? Well, it's every land. Vesuva. Oh. Vesuva reads, uh, you may have Vesuva enter the battlefield tapped as a copy of any land on the battlefield. So, if you're in dire need of a particular kind of mana, Vesuva can cover that. If someone else has a maze of if that you really like, you can copy that. If someone else has a strip mine and they're looking to get rid of your land, you can copy the strip mine and return the favor to them. Um, (laughs) Or make multiple copies of whatever card you like. Obviously, I don't recommend making making a second copy of Gaia's Cradle or Tolarian Academy or other legendary lands. But um, hmm. there are plenty of other cards. I like the flexibility of Vesuva just because I like, uh, I like that it it can fix your mana or it can copy another utility land. Uh, and I think those are both both benefits. Now, I will say that when I run Vesuva, it's because I am running a number of utility lands. Um, whether they're, you know, the maze of Ith that I just talked about whether it's alchemist refuge if you've if you're concerned that one of them is going to disappear um um so vesuva it's one of my uh it's one of my quiet favorites
0: Mm, it's pretty sweet it's very flexible obviously but it also just like does a good job of doing exactly what you need it to do i mean i guess unless it's in your opening hand but just hold on to it i guess well, I, worst comes to worst, you just make it a basic land.
1: We have talked about this in the past with Temple of the False God. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at your opening hand, we don't include Temple as a, as a land. That's that's a that's a dead spot in your hand. So if you don't have the land to be able to run, then you don't include it. With Vesuva, if your goal with your deck is to make it a copy of something beyond what you already have in your hand, then don't include it. Uh, you know i mean i am generally comfortable enough that i'll include it in my opening hand if i've got another dual land or you know a land that allows me to tap for extra mana because even then i will take the vesuva and go with that Um, and a lot of times when i run vesuva i try to run the ravnica bounce lands just because then i'm comfortable playing vesuva as a copy of a dual land when I've Mm. got all these other utility lands that I really want it to be the copy of, so then I can just bounce it. (laughs) You you play your Ravnica Duel, bounce the Vesuva back to your hand, and now suddenly you're playing it out five turns later as a copy of Maze of If. Now you've got two mazes, and, well, you know, that's extra amazing. (laughs) Um, So, Andy, what's your next card?
0: Uh, My next card is, again, just like a small group. It's not necessarily a cycle, because they come from different sets oh um, that's all
1: right it can still be a cycle
0: yeah so we've got our uh they're all colorless which is excellent um we've got arch of bonders enclave um and then the one i kind of want to talk about more war room essentially they come in you can tap it for colorless or pay some and tap it to draw a card um, so arch of tap it for colorless or Five and tap, draw a card. Activate this only if you have the City's Blessing card. <laughs> um, strictly speaking, is kind of garbage. Um, it's great if you have uh, a City's Blessing deck uh, and you just need the City's Blessing um, and are worried about getting wiped before that happening. Um, but overall paying six mana, because it's five, and then tap this one as well to draw... Is not great, but it's very easy to. In a lot of decks that run instants, um, if you're holding up for those instants and the opportunity doesn't strike, you have somewhere to put that mana. It's a good mana sink. Um, same with Bonder's Enclave. Bonder's Enclave is a little cheaper. It's three in tap to draw a card, but you have to activate this only ability if you have a creature with, uh, with power four or greater. So a, a, just, like, a different, uh, yeah, requirement, different requirement to yeah. Um And then out of um, Commander Legends came War Room, which taps for colorless, or three and tap. Uh, pay life equal to the number of colors in your commander's color identity. Draw a card. So obviously you want probably, a, like, a like a mono-colored deck or two-colored deck. um I would probably not put this in a five-color deck because four mana and five life is a lot to pay for a single card. Yeah. For, so for four mana and, like, a couple life, you get to draw a card at instant speed. It's pretty pretty good. Uh, and since all of those are colorless, they can go in any deck. So if you're you're worried about
1: card draw, this can be situational for you. You, would, yeah. you mentioned War Room specifically, and I, I do like the card. To me, the idea though is that uh, War Room really, its extra ability plays well with the fact that it taps for generic mana. Generally speaking, you want your land to tap for a color, because mm-hmm. generally that's, that's better for casting your cards. However, War Room is uh, easier to use in a deck that has fewer uh, color requirements. So yeah. if you run it in say well, you run it in a mono white deck. In a <laughs> mono white deck, this reads pay four mana, pay one life, draw a card. That's not bad. And it can easily go into a into a monocolored deck because you've already got thirty plus planes in there. <laughs>
0: yeah, you're not really worried about making that mana requirement. Right for so adding any given yeah, cards.
1: So replacing A planes with War Room it isn't going to suddenly hurt you whereas if it's, you're running a four a four color or a three even a three color commander pulling one of those lands out even if it's just a basic of one of the colors is reducing your your chances of drawing that color and well you're paying 3 life to draw a true. card well if you're running a three color commander odds are it's going to be blue it'll have blue black or green in it in which yeah. case why are you running a land that t- forces you to tap four and pay three life to draw one card there are better options but in a monocolor deck i really think this works well I, I don't think that the the demands on your deck and the demands of the card itself to draw you the card are really all that outrageous yeah so,
0: yeah. yeah i like this card fun 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 model yeah. one.
1: What do you got? I'm going to stick with that with the card draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next card is another older one. Uh, this is from Saviors mm. of Kamigawa. It is Mikokoro, Center of the Sea. This is, a, this is another legendary land, so don't put two of them in your deck. <laughs> <laughs> um, it taps for colorless, and the extra ability is, is to spend two, tap it so for three mana, each player draws a card. Now, so this is Temple Bell, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's on a land that taps for mana. So if you need the mana, you can just use it. But if, you're, if you want to draw the card, you can. No one's going to ever take out this land. No <laughs> one is strip mining this Be thing rude. away.
0: Yeah.
1: No one. Everybody draws a card. Now, you get to pay less than War Room because War Room draws you the card, not everybody. This one gives it to everybody. So obviously, there are fewer decks you're going to want to put this in. Because there are obvious, there are plenty of decks where you really don't want to let your opponents be drawing <laughs> cards. I love this. Um, I've always felt like if you put something in your deck that everybody benefits from, there is goodwill that goes along with this. Um, yeah.
0: And... It's not just those decks where it's like, oh, when opponent draws a card, they take they take one damage or whatever, right? Um, and like y- having having the political nuance of giving somebody else a card is right. Now powerful. No,
1: yeah, sure. There there are plenty of uh, plenty of decks where oh look, all of you draw a card, so each of you take a point of damage. Sure, <laughs> th- those are there, um, and that's certainly an option, but. I like to treat Mikokoro more along the lines of the Temple Bell, the Howling Mine. Everybody draws a card. The benefit here is that you decide when that happens. So, usually, Mm. at the end of your opponent's turn, if you've got the mana to do it, you can do it then. You tap, everybody draws the card, you're the first one to get to use that card. That's sort of the key for me. Um, Howling Mine, the big drawback has always been that you draw the card... But it's too late. You're the last one that gets to use your your brand new card. So it's always been a little frustrating. Miku Koru gets around that. And that's part of the reason why I rate it so highly. Cards like this, I find, I like to use them politically. You know, you look at a card like Edric, where it specifically Mm -hmm. says on it, attack me, you don't draw a card. Attack somebody else, you do. Okay. Right. This does the same thing, except you have to voice it like do you you really want to draw a card because you know i'm happy to have everybody draw a card but nobody's going to be doing combat damage to me or (laughs) nobody draws the card i mean that's just how it's going to go and as long as you make that clear you know that attacking me will cost you a card draw that will deter a lot of people just as effectively as maze of if you just have to make it known so it, it does require a little bit of uh, careful diplomacy. I mean, yeah. I mean, I love that. So, so Andy, what's your what is your last card on this bunch? My last one. The last one. Um,
0: oof. there's a lot to choose from. Um, my last card I'm going to talk about is Throne of the High City. Uh, it's from Conspiracy Take the Crown, so Conspiracy two taps for colorless or for foreign tap and sacrifice throne of the high city this is the only one that i chose from the like m- like newer lands because there are so many newer utility lands that you have to sacrifice it to get anything done um and that is kind of a pain because like it's your land you don't want to kill it <laughs> uh, especially if it taps for mana but this is the only one i did because it does something uh very exciting which is when you tap it with four mana and sacrifice it, you become the monarch, and with that, you introduce—or you could very well potentially be introducing the monarch
1: to the game. Um, yeah. So, Andy, this card—I I think you misread it. It says tap, add one colorless to your mana pool. It also says uh, four tap, sacrifice it, add way more fun to every single commander game. Period. That's <laughs> right? all it's yeah. that's all it says. The monarch is <laughs> s- makes every commander game better. It adds it adds a sub layer and it does everything. And the idea that this land can do that at your whim is just yeah. awesome.
0: Yeah, those who don't know, becoming the monarch means that you get uh at the beginning of your unstep draw a card. Whenever a creature deals combat damage to you, its controller becomes the monarch. So Uh, It encourages people to attack, uh, which moves the game along. Uh, Otherwise, they're giving you extreme card advantage because you get to just draw a card for nothing. Yeah, you are
1: doubling your card draw if you are the monarch and keep it. Now, you're not gonna. (laughs) No. You're you're not gonna keep it. Now, admittedly, what this card says is, I can become the monarch, but I choose not to yet. So... um, So if you're running a deck with, let's say, Queen Marchesa, and you are no longer the Monarch, well, this is an easy way to get it back. And then, Mm -hmm. poof, just like that. Now you are the Monarch. So it either brings it into the game, or it takes it from somebody else. And you can use it either way. So however however that works for you. But this goes in... It can go in virtually any deck. I mean, the only decks that I think shouldn't run this are decks that have no hope of ever getting the Monarch back and no chance <laughs> of ever actually keeping it. Um, right. And maybe five color decks where having a land that taps for generic or sorry, that taps for colorless Colors. and then at some point just disappears is a bad, is just, is just too big of a a downside. Yeah. However, you know, again, we're, talk, we're talking about five color decks there. Um, virtually every other deck are running either three or two or one Uh, and i think that throne of the high city can go into almost any of those decks yeah yeah bring bring more monarchy please yes uh i'm seeing a i'm seeing a theme with a number of our cards where lands let you draw cards uh since that was my last card what is your last card my last card way back when um there was a writer named Anthony Alongi, and he is still out there. You should be following Anthony <laughs> on Twitter. I made it sound like he's dead. He is definitely not yeah, dead. Yeah, way back when and now. Anthony's one of the few people who play Magic who is actually older than I am. Sorry, Anthony. Hope you're hope you're listening and uh hope you enjoyed the <laughs> dig. Um Anthony created the multiplayer card hall of fame. Uh where he took ratings of like a series of ratings weighted them and then basically took all the magic cards and ran them through this formula to produce a hall of fame basically the top cards in these in in each section you know the top blue the top white top colored cards the top whatever when anthony stopped writing this just sort of got set by the wayside (laughs) because as i later found out it's a lot of work um at some point when I started writing for Wizards, I took up the mantle and brought it back, and uh, yeah. yeah, and it was a blast. I really enjoyed doing it. We rehashed everything. I did it again. The card that I'm about to talk about is or gets the number one ranking of lands in multiplayer magic. Um, keep in mind, this was as of 2014, so <laughs> it could, you can argue that it's out of date however i still think this is a powerhouse card i love this card and i try and put it into almost every single deck that has red and green in it because I i've love seen running a you lot win with this card so many times. it is it is a, an easy way to, to 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 snag wins the card is Kessig wolf run it's a land it taps for colorless the other ability is for x red and green you tap the land target creature gets plus x plus zero and gains trample until the end of the turn now you can do this anytime so you can wait and see if the creature gets blocked and then just apply it to a creature that's been blocked so that way you can do trample Um, you can use it on your commander to ramp up the commander damage uh remember This is going in decks that have red and green. So they tend to have a lot of mana. So X can often be big enough to just kill somebody outright. This card, when I use it, often I will let it sit for several turns and just tap it for mana. And then everybody forgets it's sitting on the battlefield. I'm not hiding it. It's just sitting there. But when a land can give a creature trample it is so easy to forget you see that nine nine you know you've got a chump blocker for it you're going to be fine and then suddenly i tap Kessig wolf run where x is zero so i <laughs> need Kessig wolf run a mountain and a forest i only need three tap that the creature doesn't get any power bonus but it gets trample and when you're playing with green creatures You got a 9-9, a 12-12, whatever. They're swinging in, and suddenly that 1-1 they threw in front of it to chump absorbs one point of the damage instead of all 12. And you're spilling over and doing a ton of damage to an opponent with one of the creatures. I've put this in token decks. I've put this in Voltron decks. I've put this in 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 decks in decks where there's only 10 creatures i put this in decks where there's 40 creatures it it just goes everywhere and after all i've said about it already the card doesn't specify that it has to be your creature so if an opponent (laughs) has a commander that's swinging in and you didn't have anything to do on your turn so you're sitting there with 12 mana when they swing in you can now add you you can make x9 so i can take an opponent's commander who's swinging at somebody else add nine points to it or just give it trample you know what if somebody's swinging in with a three three death touch i mean maybe they're maybe they're throwing a one one in front of it to just chump block and 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 know that it's going to die well now i'm giving it trample and making it bigger (laughs) Or, or they're swinging in with a massive creature with the idea being, you know, they were going to get some kind of benefit by just attacking. They're like, you know, they worked out a deal and said, well, can I attack you with this? You can just chump. And then I get whatever because I attacked. And then I jump in and say, surprise, I didn't like your deal. (laughs) Here's the new deal. Boom. That card now, that big, massive guy now has trample oh and i'm even gonna pump up the power to make you really really think twice about doing that deal the next time you can do this and it's just so flexible and it works so well and admittedly putting it at the top of the list where every other land could in theory be put in any deck and this deck can only be put put in decks with red and green doesn't seem really fair but it is just that good in those decks. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I,
0: like we really didn't have any restrictions going into this. No. And this truly is, like, a powerhouse. Kesset Wolfram is, like, I've seen it win a
1: lot of games. It wins a lot of games. It does. Um, and, you know, I said earlier that people forget about it. Well, you know what? It works just as well when they don't. Because <laughs> if everybody, yeah. if everybody is thinking to themselves, Kessick Wolfren, Kessick Wolfren, you know, suddenly, you know, when you swing in with that three-three creature, they don't want to chump, because yeah. it's like, oh, nope, I gotta, ki- I gotta be able to kill this thing, because I'm gonna put a creature in front of it, and it doesn't matter how big that creature is, it's gonna die, because they know yeah. that I'm just gonna pump it.
0: Using it helps teach you proper ways to play magic like you're gonna keep all of your mana up until your second main phase because yes yes if you need to use it
1: you can right yeah Uh, why play a creature you know why are you playing spells on your first main phase you're just reducing the amount of mana that you have when people are wondering whether or not you're gonna play combat tricks well mm kessig wolfron encourages that kind of play even if you don't plan to use it you know you've already got you know You've already got all of your mana dedicated to something else and you know what that thing's gonna be. Well, wait until your combat's over. right now they're all thinking kissing Wolf run is gonna be or could be added to anything. So you swing <laughs> with your three three. they're not gonna block with something huge. They're probably not even gonna block with something small because it absorbs a point. It's not absorbing all three of the damage. so they're just gonna let it through. They take the three. And then you don't do anything with Kessig Wolf and then on your second main phase you tap out and do something else, and then they're left going, "Jeez, I wish I had blocked." And it's like, "Yes, <laughs> that's the best part because you want them guessing all the time, you you want them always wondering."
0: Yeah, so. it forces your opponents to play unusual for themselves. Right, um, they're double guessing themselves and you. So, um but
1: yeah what a what a great card just wonderful i really i really like the card it's it's always a good time so
0: lands. who knew that they were so nuanced
1: they're awesome there's
0: so many more utility lands that we want to talk about but i mean we have an hour so uh that's what we've got for today uh i'm sure we'll be back to talk about more utility lands as they come out and as time goes on and we run out of things to talk about but hey these are some of our favorites uh reach out to us uh, on twitter or via email Uh, we're falsepodmtg on twitter or falsepodmtg at gmail.com uh tell us some of your favorite lands we want to hear from you that's gonna do it for us tonight um we're temple of a false pod where decks are not optimized but our plays sure as heck are fun thank you so much for listening i'm andy i'm bruce and may your fifth land be the temple. Bye. Hey everyone, Andy here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Temple of the Fall Spot. Just a few housekeeping things here at the end of the show. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, pretty much wherever you can find podcasts. Subscribe and give us a review. It really helps out the show. And it'll show us what you like about our podcast. Uh, Also, we've got a Twitter and an Instagram. Our handle is falsepodmtg, all one word. So be sure to follow us. Feel free to reach out to us there or drop us an email at falsepodmtg at gmail.com and tell us your favorite magic-related story. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you again to you, and to Bruce, he's mana burned on Twitter, and I'm Andy Weekend on Twitter and Twitch. We're Temple of the False Pod, where our decks aren't optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. Have a great night, and may your fifth land be the Temple.